Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You're listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a conversation with a guest sharing their story and insights about what can help when you're adapting to loss. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is author John Martin, who has written extensively about grief and loss in his books, I Can't Stop Crying and Help Me, I Hurt. So welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, John. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm, uh, I'm pleased to do this with you. Right. So what we try to do with the podcast is share insights and information that will help people as they're going through a grieving process. And you've had some experience thinking about this. You've written two books about grief specifically, and a few other books about life philosophies and how to how to be with hard things and how to make the most of life. And so when we think about this, what is it you would like people to know? What have you learned about that you would like people to know about grief and the grieving process um, that you think would be helpful? Thank you. So there's, there's, I, I think I've learned most by what people have taught me. Um, and it's been an, it's been an evolution. I've been working with people who have been suffering loss for more than 35 years. And I can tell you that what I knew 35 years ago compared to what I know now is utterly different. And, and I, I'm happy to tell you what I knew even a year or two ago is very different than what I, I know now. And hopefully if we're speaking in a year or two from now, I've learned something else. And really um, grief is so much bigger than I had imagined. It's, it's, um, it doesn't work very well with a formula. It's important to pay attention to what each person is is telling you. Um, I think something that I learned probably over the last five years is that emotional pain is every bit as significant as physical pain, and yet we don't give it nearly as much credence or credibility or spend nearly as much time and energy towards it. So we're we're very good at attending to physical pain. We, we see somebody, let's say, with a... Um, a cane or on crutches because they're having some difficulty with mobility and we're, we know exactly what to do. We move things out of the way so they can get by or hold a door open or give them some extra space, uh, give them some extra time to get where they need to go. We're, we're, we're programmed to respond to that. But we have no idea, and I, and I mean no idea, what to do with people who are emotionally injured. And certainly grief leaves us emotionally injured to the point of, I would say, a comparison to a, a significant trauma, like maybe a, a car accident. I mean, I often joke with people and say, consider a piano has fallen on you, but really it's, it, it's as serious as that. So people in that situation are taken off to a facility, namely a hospital, and at the hospital, they know exactly what to do for these folks, right? Often it involves uh, surgery and uh, medication and uh, uh, physical therapy or occupational therapy after a while. Uh, it, it certainly requires that the person who's been in a, a terrible accident 
take time to equilibrate and figure out what's what's happened to them. What 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 do they have left? What what have they lost? What does their future look like? Um, and and they know that if they're going to get from where they are today to a, a different spot, a more hopeful spot, it involves a huge amount of effort. So all of that is every everybody who's listening to you and everybody in our society would understand you 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 get pulled out of a car wreck. These are things that are going to happen to you. But if someone you love dies, we're, we become very awkward and, and tongue-tied and unable to respond. And so I, I use that analogy with people that I'm talking to, and they get it. They go, you're right. I, I feel battered. I feel beaten up. I feel completely traumatized. And so that, that allows them to give themselves permission, and we'll get back to that after, to see that they've truly been injured and, and therefore to to begin to act accordingly and to see their injury as something as significant as the, as the person who's pulled out of a car wreck. Mm -hmm. I agree so much. I think what some of the research is showing us these days is that emotional pain actually lights up the same centers in the brain that physical pain does. And so once we start to just recognize that pain is pain, emotional or physical um, isn't as relevant as the fact that a person is in pain, then we can respond to the pain. We can start to think about what are the treatments? How do we help someone with an emotional injury like grief? How do they get care that will help them mend and find their way back to yes. a, a level of functioning? Yes. Right? And, and maybe that brings us to permission. But if I could say first that and I don't know if you and I spoke of this earlier, but when I was a boy and that was <laughs> it was a few years ago, there were many things in my household that we did not speak of. We, we did not talk about money, except to say that money was to be feared and never spent. Um, my, my dad taught me those two things very well. Uh, it's taken me years to try to get over that. We, we, um, we did not talk about sex or sexuality. Those things I would figure out somehow magically on my own. Did not talk about emotion of any kind. Emotions simply were foreign to, to my household. And, and I think given the friends I've had over the years who are of similar age, many who are younger than me, some who are older, when I say that to them, they resonate. They go, oh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't touch feelings at, at my home either. And so the idea that we might be entering into an area that is so unusual, so foreign to so many of us is, is, a, is a place where the disconnection you know, begins. So for, for me to hold the door for you, I don't know, somebody must have taught me that. That was an act of kindness or consideration for somebody with a, you know, a cane or, or crutches or a wheelchair, for instance, going back to what we said at the beginning. But nobody told me how to respond to somebody who was crying or who was sad or lost or lonely or was unable to function the way they had previously been functioning. And I think it's from that inability that we end up doing silly things. We, we, we say things that we wish maybe we hadn't said because we think I'd better say something. And then we, we wish we hadn't said that because that often makes the person withdraw or cry and you know, look what I've done now, right? So we're, we have no arsenal. We have no repertoire at all to respond to people who are emotionally injured or, or wounded. And, and, and I guess what I want to say to people then is the same way you have permission to care for your body, the same way you can go to the gym to stay healthy or to the doctor or the hospital or whatever you need when you're feeling unwell, 
you must provide yourself with some sense of permission, A, to realize you've been traumatized, and B, to know that there are things you must do in order to help yourself and to allow those around you to be of help to you. So permission is enormous, really, really huge. Yeah, it's so important for people to understand that their, their emotional response, all those feelings that they have, is a normal response to the experience of loss. And, and permission is a way of letting people know that their feelings are valid, that their experience is real, and that they can, that they're free to feel it and go through it. Yes, free and important. I, I, so I, we, again, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but it's not unusual to see people who are in new grief, who say things like, I, I've lost my mind, um, I, I can't focus, I can't concentrate, I don't remember my phone number, my email address, um, I, I, can't, I can't even for sure find my way home when I'm driving, I drive down streets, I know are one-way streets, I'm completely confused, my friends and family tell me I'm going crazy. And I say to the person, you're not going crazy. This is all expected and normal. And you can watch them depressurize because they have convinced themselves from the response that they're getting from people around them. Because we, you don't act that way on a, on a regular basis. You know, what's, the, what's wrong with you? You, you? Of course, you know your email address. Of course, you know your phone number. Of course, you know how to operate your computer or your telephone. No, I, I, I don't. And that's, um, that's, that's uh, to be expected and it's normal. And people from there can begin to figure that they're not crazy, they're not losing their mind and move forward and, and, and hopefully begin to get some help and heal a little bit. That's right. I think that that permission, that validation, that normalization of their experience goes such a long way towards beginning to heal. Um, it, it lets people know that this is normal and expected. And, uh, and just like if you, if you have a cut, you expect that you're gonna have some bleeding, if you have a loss, you're going to have some pain and, you know, what kind of pain it is will depend partly on the relationship and the attachment and all of those things um, that are personal and unique, but, but the pain is universal. Yes. And, you know, we, we have to be careful because we live in a world with so much information. We have to be careful to somehow find a way to sift through that and not find ourselves falling down a hole of bad information. And I don't like the word bad, but um, you know, there's stuff that can be really harmful. And if you're grieving and you're lost, and many people who are, are grieving have no idea who to talk to, what to do, where to turn, it's really important that you try to find someone or have a friend try to find someone like you, Maureen, who knows and understands what happens to a person in grief. Because if you go down you know, a harmful path, you can start all kinds of things. And that's one of the, the, the problems with friends who pass on poor information is that stuff sticks with us. You know, and there's all kinds of those things like uh, time heals all. Well, in my mind, time doesn't heal anything unless you're working at whatever the problem is, right? I mean, you would never say to somebody who'd, um, who'd had a heart attack, for instance, ah, don't worry, you'll get better on your own. Things need to happen in order for that person to, to get better, to improve, right? Uh, you know, try, try to push through this. <laughs> what do you mean try to push through this? Grief only lasts a few weeks. You should be better by now. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm a real right. mess, aren't I? <laughs> right. 
a completely lost cause, right? Or your loved one wouldn't, you know, the person who has died, they wouldn't want you to be sad. They would want you to be happy. Well, I, I don't know how to be happy right now. I'm so confused and miserable, right? So those things are meant to be helpful, but they, they end up causing harm. Exactly. Meant to be helpful, but cause harm because they're not really true. They're often more myths. They're, they're often, you know, what people wish was true. Yeah. Sound um, bites, right? Yeah. We right? yeah. Think about the funeral home. What happens to most people? First, they don't even know they're, they're grieving at that point generally, but what they often get is a hug, a pat on the back, and I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> and that's the end of the book, right? Mm -hmm everybody leaves and there's a meal and then you're on your own and all you got is a hug a pat on the back and i'm sorry for your loss and you have no idea what you're supposed mm -hmm. to do well and and in the in the past two years sometimes you don't even get that hug and pat on the back um you get the um, i'm sorry for from a distance so it's been even a different challenge in terms of the isolation that people who are grieving feel you know in in you know pre-pandemic times what you're talking about is the isolation they feel after the funeral when everybody's gone. And that's been exacerbated by the isolation of the pandemic, right? Imagine the little bit of, of, of solace that you got from people attempting to reach out to you in person mm -hmm. is now probably been reduced to a text message. Mm -hmm. right? maybe, yeah. maybe if you're lucky, a text message, or maybe people just disappear altogether. Yeah. So we want people to know that they have permission to grieve, that what they're feeling is normal, that it's expected and it will take time and work to heal. And, and we would actually, I think in our conversation, we'd also like people trying to support people in grief to know these things too, so that they, so that they can say things that are more helpful. Like it will take time and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll have to find some things to help you heal, but I'll be there with you or I'll be nearby if you need me. And so we want, I think, permission for the grievers, but also permission for people who are supporting people in grief in yes. the same, it's the two sides of the same coin that you and I are talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because people who are grieving definitely need support and human tenderness and connection and kindness, which I, I think we'll get to, uh, before we're done um, and and they are as much in need of guidance as the person who is grieving you've got you've got a whole bunch of people who are grieving who are in need of assistance but aren't sure how to ask for it or where to go for it and I think you've probably got a whole bunch of people who know people who are grieving who want to be helpful and supportive but have no idea how to how to do that so, there needs to be some understanding on both sides, some open communication on both sides, and both sides need permission to, to you know, ask for help, offer help, and, and, and look after one another. Mm -hmm. And I think that really does nicely bring us to the kindnesses and the importance of kindness and healing grief. Um, and so uh, let's talk a little bit about what's the value of kindness, compassion, and empathy when we're talking about supporting people through grief. Well, this is one of those things that I was alluding to earlier that I've learned over the past, I guess, 10 years, um, is that the, the, the intersection of human suffering and human kindness is where healing and helping takes place. And I know that's a mouthful, but in the, in the midst of someone being miserable, if they can be offered some consideration, some compassion, some empathy, some kindness, 
it, it really is a healing, wonderful approach. And, and I think it puts, it puts people on, on a similar level. My kindness to you means I'm not, I'm not tossing you a coin. I'm going to sit down and have a meal with you. I'm not throwing you a coin to buy a meal. I'm going to sit down and have a meal with you. And I think it's that, it's that human connection that we have all missed so much over the last couple of years that is so, so valuable in, in, in looking after people who are grieving. So um, people will often say to me, well, what can I do? And, and I'll say, do practical things. You know, call your friend, don't text them or email them. And if it's possible, go and see the person who's grieving and be consistent. If, if you go once a week, then go once a week. If you call every day, then call every day. They'll, they'll come to count on that and, and, and depend on hearing from you. And if you go, go and do something practical, bring them something to eat or drink. It doesn't have to be a fancy meal. It could be a bowl of soup or a, a simple sandwich, cup of coffee. If you go into their home and things are disheveled, don't, don't be surprised. Do the dishes if, if you're there for a few minutes. Don't overstay your welcome. Don't stay for a long time. They're not in a position to entertain you. But, but you know, be present with them. Uh, offer, offer them a bit of food, a bit of, a bit of a company. And if the floor is dusty, sweep it. If the dishes need to be done, you know, you do them. You've done something tangible that will that will help them get through the day. And they've had a few minutes of actual human um, interaction with somebody that they know cares about them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important really to think about being able to just notice something that needs doing. If the leaves need raking or the garden needs weeding or the dishes need doing, you know, often I think people ask, uh, or say, uh, just let me know if I can do anything. And I think what people who are in grief, particularly when it's fresh and raw, find is that they don't know what needs doing next. They can't turn their mind to it. You mentioned earlier that idea of the fogginess that comes with grief. And trying to ask for what a person needs can be a real challenge when you're in grief, particularly in the raw and fresh stages of it. Um, when the experience is still overwhelming. And so those ideas about practical things, I think are so important for people to have. Yes, I, I, I've come to really believe that that's fundamental. Um, and, and unfortunately we have gotten, and even if you forget the pandemic, we have, we have all kinds of tools that have allowed us to get further and further away from each other. So, uh, you know, an email is less personal than a telephone call and a text message is often shorter and less involved than a than an email message and we've got all all kinds of ways to not interact and and be close so if 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 you are with someone who's suffering from from loss and grief your your physical presence and your being close will be tremendously important and remember don't don't feel you have to fix the problem and that's i guess the next thing i want to say is if you we're not very good at listening and listening sounds like all I have to do is take in what you're telling me, but it's so much bigger than that. So, you know, each of us should at some point take some sort of small course on what it means to listen, because there will be many times in our lives that it will be so important to be able to sit quietly, be with another person, hear what they're telling you. Um, you know, don't drift off to a place that their words have taken you to. Um, don't, don't, um, think you need to solve every every problem or situation that's provided to you um, and don't think you need to have an answer to every every question or or prevent every tear 
it, it, it's, it's quite a skill to be able to listen, to keep, keep your, you know, your head clear and your, and your mind open and, um, and to let the person know that you're taking in everything they're telling them. And sometimes it's just a nod of the head. Sometimes it's a, you know, it's a, it's some facial expression that lets them know you're, you're still there. Sometimes it's just a brief word or two, but be careful not to make it about you. We like to tell our stories in the midst of the other person's story. And as much as sometimes that can be reassuring to say, I know what you're saying, I've been there too. We have to be careful that we don't turn the, the listening into, into something that's all about us. It's very true. I find that often when we're listening, we are listening to decide what we'll say next. And so uh, what's our story or what's going to be our, our response? And so we miss a lot of what's being said because we're thinking about what we're going to say next. And that's not really listening, right? Yeah. We listen How to How do that. I get ahead of this? That's right. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting process about listening um, because we have to be comfortable with silence and we have to be able to turn our attention to someone else and set aside what's happening inside of us temporarily to be present. And you made some good comments about listening and being attentive and how a, a smile, a nod, a facial expression can show you're attending to a person, right? We don't have to go on at length to let the person know that we heard them. Yeah. So important, you know, and, a, and in some ways a, a skill that is, um, uh, not being well developed in the way that we use technology, the way that we are with one another these days. Yes, it's, and it sounds so simple. What do you mean? Listening, everybody knows it. But the, the, the ability to listen and to stay in that space and to actually hear what the person has, has told you is, I think, quite a, a rare gift. Mm -hmm. Well, as a social worker and as an instructor of social service work students, um, I teach people about active listening. And so it is really a skill that we underestimate sometimes. I think you're right on the money with that. And, and along with that, I think that we also sometimes undervalue silence. You know, we could come, I think, to appreciate more the ability to just be with someone in silence and allow the feeling to be present in the room without having to rush in with words. Yes, there's some comfort in having something to say, right? It, yes. <laughs> it makes it a bit easier if I keep talking. <laughs> Maybe you won't tell me what the problem is. And even though I might not be doing that consciously, there, there is something There is something to, to being quiet and, and staying with the moment because that can be difficult to do. It, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, that kind of brings me back to something else I was thinking about when you were talking about practical tasks and also just showing up for people if you're going to be there every week be there every week and and I also think then that it's so important not to make promises you can't keep right to to try and set your limits on what you can offer if if um if you can be there every week that's super and and so do so but if if that's really not going to work in your schedule then choose something that, that can work for you so that you're not setting up a disappointment for the person who's grieving and, and a bad feeling for yourself. Yes, people are very um, dependent on the ability to others to provide a bit of caring. And even though you think the fact that you missed a day, it's only a day, the, the person who's needing you may, may really be uh, you know, affected and, 
and influenced by that. And I, I think consistency is very important. Uh, when I get involved with people who are are grieving, I try to make some sort of connection every day for a long period of time, okay. because telling you that I'm there for you and showing you that I'm there for you are two very different things. So even if it's just a, a, a consistent text message or telephone call, you know, just checking in, how, how are you doing today? I wanted you to know that I was thinking about you, really establishes for the person on the other end that, that you've made some sort of commitment and that their well-being is important. So if you're in a position to do that and you don't have to be a counselor or a therapist or acting on any professional basis, but, you know, just that, you know, I was thinking about you, you crossed my mind and I wanted you to know that can be worth its weight in, in emotional gold. Mm, I absolutely agree. I hear that very often from people that I speak with. Um, and, 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 Sometimes they don't, people who are grieving don't have the energy to reply to those daily contacts, but they so appreciate them. And as they heal, they know that they can count on that contact. And as they heal, they're more able to reciprocate, to reach back out. And so it's, it's, again, it's, it's worth mentioning that idea of being in it for the long haul and giving someone time and not necessarily needing that that reply right away giving people who are grieving time to process what they're feeling and and then respond to you as they're ready and feeling able right and with with better weather coming and with covid being a little quieter at least for now hopefully forever you know offering your grieving friend a, a bit of time outdoors if they'll go for a short walk with you or you know, sit on a bench and have a cup of coffee with you. These are very simple things that you can do that, that can be very impactful and helpful for, um, for, for the person who's suffering. I spoke to a woman not an hour ago who said, I've spent the last two months locked in my apartment, partially because I've been afraid to go out and partially because no one has bothered to come and see me. She had a, a different problem, but she's so eager to have some sort of human, human connection and is really feeling being, being left alone. Right. Right. And so then that, that idea of reaching out just becomes so much more important. Right. Yeah. It's something I think to know that so many people um, are grieving and that has only increased through the pandemic. You know, the number of people grieving, the, t the type of grief we're experiencing, um, there are lots of different types of grief, not just for a person who's died, um, but it means that we're kind of, we're all sort of, um, in some ways, walking wounded. We're sort of this, we're, we're, we're carrying these injuries, these emotional strains and pains. And so it's, it's I think, so important to, to talk about the idea, too, that there's nothing wrong with you that you're feeling this and that it's, it's actually in some ways, it's just universal, even though your experience of grief is unique to your circumstances, your losses, and your coping mechanisms, that you're not alone. Yes, any any time. I'm glad you brought this up. I didn't I didn't know if we were going to speak of grief outside, um, you know, the loss of loss of life. But anytime there has been a, a, a loss that is significant to an individual, anytime there's a loss where they hurt where they recognize that something has been taken from them that they did not want to lose, then grief is the, uh, grief is the, is the reaction, the needed, 
the needed reaction. And so you're right, um, coronavirus has taken from so many people in so many different ways, you know, loneliness and for, for many people, financial security and, and a job or possibly a family business has, has been significantly impacted. I, I live in a, you know, downtown Toronto and I can't tell you how many places are for rent that weren't for rent two, two years ago. And every time I see a for rent sign or brown paper over the front of a shop, it, it means that people have lost their, their jobs and probably someone has lost their shirt. And that's, that's a, those are significant losses. And then of course, you know, illness and, and very few people talk about coronavirus that won't go away. And, and it's a real problem. There are people who get sick and die, and there are people who get sick and recover, but there are many people who have gotten sick and have not gotten better. And that's e enormous loss too. And, and, and there's gonna be a whole bunch of that that people need to, you know, we need to respond to somehow. We haven't, we haven't done a very good job of responding to those losses across the board. And you see socially, there's a great deal of anger being expressed. And a lot of that has to do with frustration and loss. Mm -hmm. I, I agree completely that there's so many levels of loss, right? Not just the loss of a person, the loss of security, stability, rules, status, um, all kinds of things like that. Think about the end of a love relationship, for instance, and how many, how many significant love relationships go sour every, every day for one reason or another. Yeah. And so each person is sort of a um, walking around with their own collection of loss experience that they're expressing and, and feeling. And so it's, it, you know, the, the things that we've talked about today, the, the permission to feel what you're feeling, uh, the idea of kindness and empathy and compassion as a way to reach out for healing and the acknowledgement of emotional pain as being the equivalent of physical pain in terms of how much it, it affects us. I think all of those things are so important for people who are grieving to know and for people who are trying to support them to know too. Yes, yeah. and Maureen, if we have another moment, the one thing we didn't speak of, I realize we could do this for hours and hours, is, is when you are grieving, when you do experience a loss for whatever reason, it's important to be able to tell your story. You know, don't keep it bottled up. It doesn't get better on its own. It does require hard work. And that hard work usually begins by, you know, finding a way to get it out to, to, to say somehow what's, what's bothering you, what's hurting you and what's causing you discomfort. Mm -hmm. So very true. And, and of course, at Grief Stories, we believe that very much. We believe that sharing your story, talking about what you've experienced um, is cathartic, that it helps you move your pain out of you into the world where it's witnessed, where it's understood, where you where you begin to know that other others may have a similar experience. And so we believe too that story sharing is such an important part of healing, that that's the foundation of what we do. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today, John. No, it's been my pleasure. It's 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 been fun to talk with you and uh I only wish that more people knew what you knew, maybe right. what I knew, because it's such a huge, huge problem. And, and we didn't say that if, if, if grief um, doesn't get dealt with, it probably um, lingers and festers and becomes a bigger problem down the road. Yes, I agree with that. 
as with any emotional pain, grief that's untended to just grows and can swamp us in our lives. And so the, the ability to have permission and do the work and have support in doing that grieving work uh, is so important. And so I agree with you. I wish, I wish everybody could know what you and I have learned and continue to learn as you pointed out in the beginning of our conversation, right? That, that we continue to learn all the time about what can help and, and, and how we can move through feelings like grief. And so that's why we do this. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we share uh, stories through grief stories. And thank you so much for, for helping us to do that today. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we realize that these stories may be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.